Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the HashiCast. Today, we have Tammy Bryant-Buda, who is the Vice President of Product at Statype. Uh, so uh, welcome. Welcome, Tammy. How's it going? Thanks so much for having me, Taylor. I'm really excited to be here today. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I've, I've got quite a few questions queued up for today. So uh, really, really excited to dig in, you know, hear more about who you are, uh, hear about your history, and then obviously talk all things DevOps and, and other things that you're working on. So uh, for those not familiar with you and who you are and what you do, uh, can you give us a little bit more uh, information about yourself, yeah, what you're working sure on right now? Yeah. So I recently just joined uh, Statype as the VP of product. So we're a brand new startup currently in stealth mode. So, you know, by the time you listen to this, if you go to statype.com, S-T-A-T-Y-P-E, then there may be a website up, but right now there isn't. Uh, we also have a Twitter, so check us out on there and give us a follow. And so I can't share much about what we're building yet because it is a secret, but I can tell you a little bit about the team and like why I decided to join. Uh, I previously was working at Gremlin on Chaos Engineering. I did that for four years, over four years. And before that, I was at Dropbox as an SRE manager, leading the databases team, block storage, also worked on developer tools, got to do a lot of great work there, super exciting. And, you know, for example, got a 10x reduction in incidents in my first three months working with the team, which was amazing. And then before that, I was actually at DigitalOcean. And at DigitalOcean, I was, I loved it so much. It was amazing. I was there from when it was very small, like 60 employees until there was about 300 employees. So I really got to be part of that scale and see the growth of DigitalOcean. And now I think there's over a thousand employees. So it's grown a lot. Uh, but yeah, Statype was founded by the co-founder of DigitalOcean, Moisey. So he's decided after the DigitalOcean Digital IPO to actually uh, co-found Statype. And then also with Jonas, who was the head of engineering, the, the CTO while I was at DigitalOcean, and also Dave Worth, who I worked with as well. And he's our VP of engineering. Dave Worth worked on a ton of different engineering teams when I was there. Like for example, uh, billing was a huge one. He owned all of that massive um, and a lot of different things there too. And then also Stafford Brook, who also worked on a ton of teams at DigitalOcean. Actually, he was there when I was there. And then he stayed for six and a half years. So he just came over to Statype 2. And for example, one of the teams he worked on is the Droplet team. So if you've used DigitalOcean, you know the Droplets. That's his team uh, that he worked on that for many years and did a lot of other stuff too. And Marie Sokolovsky, who's our Chief of Staff here at Statype. I also worked with Marie in the past at DigitalOcean and she was supporting all of our executive team as an executive assistant. And yeah, she was there from the really early days uh, before I joined in January 2014. So I'm super excited to be joining this team. Can't wait to share more about it later on. And I guess like just to sum up, you know, my background, what I'm passionate about, I really do love working with developers, uh, building products for developers. That's definitely something I love, which is why I like working at DigitalOcean and why I, I love working at Gremlin too. 
And in Gremlin, I was getting to create chaos engineering basically as a service, you know, failure injection as a service for SREs to get to use that. And it was so great to see what everyone could do. And um, yeah, so that's basically me. And I also worked at the National Australia Bank too, which that's really where I got started after graduating from computer science. I worked there for six years on a ton of different stuff, mortgage broking, finance, uh, foreign exchange trading, internet banking, even got to spend some time working as a security engineer on internet banking, which was exciting, uh, you can imagine. So lots of different things over the years. I, I'll, I definitely have a lot more questions on that front uh, and, and probably will later in life, you know, as far as the good ways to buy a house, some good interest rates. So we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that afterwards. I got tips. <laughs> uh, PCI compliance too, I'm sure. That's, that has to be lots of fun. Uh, yeah, exactly. Don Frank, I, I have lots of random info in that area. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, it's so fun. I, I remember uh, I, I used to work at uh, American Greetings and uh, we did we had a whole bunch of uh, like socks audits and things yep. like that. We always want to make sure our socks matched uh, in those cases for sure. So. <laughs> I've never heard anyone do that joke. joke. <laughs> no, we, we've been practicing here. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Uh, so, so you, you had brought up your time at DigitalOcean as you know platform manager and Dropbox, kind of working in the site reliability engineering roles and, and in those disciplines. Um, I, I'm really curious to hear. Do you have uh, any highlights or and lowlights that really stood out to you in those organizations? Were there some things that you felt that you were you know in a unique place to really learn about certain things, or some things that were unique problems that the team faced that you kind of worked yeah. through with them? I mean, my, my highlights is definitely the people, the people that you get to work with along the way. Like I've learned so much from so many amazing people. Um, I actually once gave a talk at Monitorama where, you know, one of my main slides that I put up where was like, this is our team. Like this is the people behind the magic. You know, this is us. We're trying to keep at the time when I joined Dropbox, there was 200 million customers. And I think within a year we went to like, it's like, four or 500 million customers. It was just like wild scale, you know? So being able to do that, and we didn't grow our team. We actually um, shrunk our team. Some of our team members went to work on other teams to help those teams out. So we just did a ton of automation. It was like, you know, tens of thousands of database servers with a tiny team of like, you know, three or four people most of the time. So that, I mean, that's what it is, right? It's like that amazing team that you have, that that talent. Uh, I actually learned about that that from Moisey, uh, the CEO at Statype, who's the co-founder of DigitalOcean. And when I first started to work there, I was like, how do you recommend like finding the people to work with and to join your team as you were like recruiting people to join you? And he was like, you know, just look for that talent. Like look for people who you think they have a ton of potential. They would be amazing to additions to your team. And that's exactly how we hired at DigitalOcean. It works so good. And I did the same at, at Gremlin and the same at Dropbox. And the way that he explained it to me, it was kind of like um, when you're building like a basketball team or a football team, right? You're like looking for that talent. Like you look everywhere to try and find them like a talent scout. And then you help them grow, put them into the right positions. And sometimes they end up being the best players on your team. So I've definitely found that over the years. And, you know, I, I have so many people that I could mention as like, you know, amazing talent. I'm going to say like a few people that come to mind is like Slava. He was an SRE on my team at Dropbox. And now he's actually the co-founder of a startup called Tallulah. 
And also Rona was an SRE on my team. She came out of a, a school, like one of the non-traditional coding schools called Holburton School. She did that for six months, did an SRE internship with us, then went back to school, finished off her two-year uh, course there, and then worked at Dropbox full-time for many years after that. Just recently went to a new place. But that's my highlight. Definitely the amazing people I've worked with and learned from. And then, um, and also just, you know, moving to Silicon Valley was very good for me, I would say. Like, I know some people don't want to do it, but I did do it and I I learned so much. I was there for four and a half years and, you know, I got to work with folks who created the, the back ends of YouTube, of Facebook, of, you know, different types of services at Google, folks who built like Facebook Messenger. I don't know, just so many things you can learn from these people. And they're just amazing, you know, great people, great to hang out with, and they're happy to share what they went through. And that's an awesome thing. And, you know, that's not written in books. You can sometimes hear it on podcasts, which is awesome, but I, but I haven't found many books about those stories, like the deep, you know, stories related to building that out. And then, you know, some of the challenges I would say, I definitely go straight to like technical challenges, like things that were really hard um, technically to figure out or when there's just a ton of complexity, like you've got, you know, over a thousand engineers, like my hardest project I probably ever worked on was one called Mic Drop at Dropbox. It was a successful project, but it did take us a whole year to do. And it was a huge database migration, migrating away from MySQL for, for some legacy databases to our new distributed data store. But I had to work with, you know, hundreds of engineers from over a hundred different teams to like make that happen to migrate so many tables. And that was just complicated, but also, you know, it's a scary project because it's data migration. So, you know, you're like, if that's like a thing where if you work with databases, you know, you've got to be brave. You've got to be, I'm, I'm definitely into extreme sports. It's, it's, I think working with databases is an extreme sport. That's like what I always tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I really like that analogy. I feel like that's so apt because you do want to make sure that you have, you know, your helmet, your knee pads, that you're, you're suited up and you're ready for that job and also prepared to, you know, maybe fall right into the mud in some exactly, cases. Exactly, exactly. Well. Like with snowboarding, you know, like pop on your helmet, you know, make sure you're wearing the right clothes, have a good strategy. And the, the way that we made that work successfully too was like sharing that with everyone else. Like this is how we recommend you do your migration specifically for your um, code, for your data that you want to migrate over. So then I could just like write that up into a document, share that with folks internally, like on Dropbox paper, that's how we did it. And then people could ask questions. We just had like an open question section. And then I would go around and actually meet with folks doing like office hours if they wanted to actually get help and advice for doing the migration. And obviously we had a team of folks to be able to review the code um, before it was committed. So that's how we did it. But it just took a long time because, you know, and I, I think that's something you don't want to rush, right? You want to get it right. So <laughs> and it was successful and the load dropped to zero. So pretty amazing project, but def definitely a challenge. I think it, kind of looking at your career and the more I've gotten to know you and talk with you, uh, the one thing that I've really respected and found interesting is that fact that you're open to all of these possibilities, you know, even, you know, going from Gremlin to your current role and kind of like taking a look, taking a look at life in a product sense or kind of with that lens on, I think kind of uh, that I definitely want to get back to, though, I, I really want to focus in on, you know, what was it like for you to go, you know, some people move across the country and, and come to Silicon Valley. 
Valley, though you came from, you know, a complete from an island, you know, from <laughs> all the way across the Pacific um, here to the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? You know, what it was like oh, to yeah. uh, kind of start in Australia and then to make your way out here and then end up in, in Florida where you're at right now? Yeah, like, I mean, you, you probably know from already listening to me, I'm a very positive person. That's just my vibe. That's what I'm like. Like, Taylor, you're the same. So, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've been working in technology for a long time. I'm still positive. So that's just me. I know I'm a, <laughs> we're the odd ones out. But, um, you know, the, the thing of why I wanted to move to America was like, I actually really wanted to move to the US since I was probably like four years old, like to be <laughs> honest, because I was always into computers. Um, my mom actually got me my first computer, you know, before I can even remember. We just always had a computer because she had this idea back in like the, you know, late eighties, early nineties, she was just like, computers are the future. You need to learn how to do this. It's more important than handwriting. Like, I don't even care if your handwriting's ugly. You need to learn how to use a computer. I actually never got my pen license. That's a thing in Australia where you have to get a license to be able to go from using a pencil to a pen. And I never got my pen license. So I'm not certified to use a pen. And my mom didn't care because she's like, She's like arguing with the teacher. Well, she's great at the computer. You know, she knows how to type so fast. I don't care if she doesn't have a pen license. But, um, but yeah, so I always wanted to do that. And it was also because my mom's best friend worked at Microsoft too. So I used to go visit him at his office. He would like take me on the back of his motorcycle. So I was like, this is so cool. Like Microsoft motorcycles is the best, you know, and I had all these great stories. And, um, and I just always thought it'd be great. So then I went and studied computer science at university in Australia, like straight out of high school. I always studied, like I took all the computing classes I could in high school. I was building websites, you know, from, from as long as I can imagine, remember. And um, I used to run these little freelance businesses, like fixing people's computers, running like antivirus scans, which was like a thing I got paid to do. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, I fixed a lot of things back then. And then the way that I moved to America was actually, I asked my mentor, who was actually my boss um, at the National Australia Bank, James Turnbull, who then went on to work at like Puppet, Docker, you know, Kickstarter, a ton of different places. And he's written tons of books. Like you got to check out his books if you haven't read them. And I asked James, like, hey, James, you know, you just, I was in security at the time and he just got a job at Puppet. I was like, oh, James, like, how'd you get that job at Puppet? Like, I want to move to America. How do I do it? And he's like, well, just write up a list of like your top companies that you want to work at and then just apply on their website. I was like, what? Like that's so simple. And so then I did that and I had DigitalOcean at the top of my list and I applied on the website and I got an interview and I was like, oh my God, like that works. And so, yeah, I like had a, had a Skype interview and I talked to the team. Originally they were like, not sure if we can hire you because you're in Australia. Like that's a big move. They were so small. When I first interviewed, they were like 30 people big. And I think maybe they just closed their series A. So, it, and I don't know if it was even announced yet. I'm not sure. It was very in, in the very early days. And so then, you know, they ended up though, obviously hiring me. I did get hired. They relocated me over to New York and it was just like the best thing ever. And since then I've just, been like loving living in the US right now. I mean, I lived in New York to start, then I went to Silicon Valley and now I'm in Miami. And I know a lot of people, maybe they don't like Miami. I love it here. It's amazing. So many great people. 
And also it's the most Australian place in America. So it's such a fun journey too, I'm, I'm sure. And that has to, I, I can't even imagine what it must've been like for you to get that email back. Like, oh, so, all right, let's talk. Let's, you know, let's let, yeah. come on out. Let's, let's have an interview and kind of talk more at DigitalOcean. Yeah. That had to be incredible. Yeah. And it was, you know, they, they, it's, an, it's a, not an easy interview process. I had to do like an online test. Um, we used Truability back then where you were like, doing all these different problems with like Linux and coding and troubleshooting like Apache servers or Nginx, stuff like that. But, um, and it's all time-based and they watch everything that you do. And then there was a number of other different types of um, exams that I had to do to be able to get to my face-to-face interview. And then I actually interviewed with Moisey and yeah, I was offered a job and it was, it was seriously like one of the best moments in my life. Like I, I was just so happy. Like I can't even describe it. It's like my dream came true that I dreamt of since I was five. You know, that's a big moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so fun, and it's so and it's I'm happy it all happened. Obviously, and kind of seeing where you've been able to take that, all the things that you've learned, and kind of bring them into what you've been working on now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when when I met you, you when you were working at Gremlin as a principal at SRE and and teaching so many people about what chaos engineering was and and just how to you know work it within to their processes and their pipelines and everything else. Yeah. Uh, is, is there anything that you can kind of tell us more about chaos engineering and why teams would benefit from investing in that de- into that yeah. discipline? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of chaos engineering. I recommend that everyone should learn how to do it. It's very important for all roles. Like I would say as a, as an engineer, as a developer, whatever role you're in. Um, and it's very popular. You know, if you've, heard of chaos monkey from netflix you understand like the background of chaos engineering and you know an important thing to remember too is like chaos monkey was created over 10 years ago now so chaos engineering as a practice has been around for a long time and it's definitely evolved since then when you had chaos monkey it was like just shut down a server netflix built it as they were migrating to amazon to ec2 instances they wanted to make sure people weren't like hard coding you know different machines and stuff because the machines are going to go away we don't control that anymore you can't say hey can you let me know when you're going to take my machines down for maintenance no because they'll just do it or it'll just happen because they'll get rebooted or whatever so that idea was really great but now we've progressed a lot from instead of just shut down a whole node it's like it's a lot more granular. You can say, I want to focus on a specific pod on Kubernetes. Um, that's like one specific example. And you can do a lot of different attack types, not just shut down a pod, but inject latency. What about packet loss? What about just making the pod disappear using a black hole attack? Um, also IO, increasing IO, CPU, disk, memory, ton of different resource types of attacks. And then the other side of chaos engineering is actually something that we did too, which was application level failure injection, where you're actually writing code. Um, so I did do a lot of that as well, where you're like doing it with Java applications. A lot of, this is probably surprising to folks, but like I started doing chaos engineering out in the National Australia Bank. It's very popular in finance because there is a ton of failure and people don't want to lose their money. So like you're really trying hard to inject chaos proactively you want to know what the problems are at 10 a.m. on like a Tuesday rather than getting paged in the middle of the night at like 2 a.m. And who's on call? Does that person even know how to solve this issue? It's way better when you're all awake and everyone can debug it together. That's why I'm a big fan of like doing game days to start where it's like, let's get into a, into a Zoom call, have a hypothesis, inject some failure, see what happens. You know, you're always going to learn something new. And then after that, 
advancing your practice by using automation. So actually Gremlin has an API that you can use. A lot of people will integrate Gremlin with their CI CD pipelines, which makes a ton of sense too, like Jenkins, for example. And so that way you're just automatically injecting failure every time you're like changing a service, adding new code. And that's a very good practice to get into as well. And some people always ask me, do you have to do chaos engineering in production? No, I always start in pre-prod staging environments. And it can take some companies years to get to production, chaos engineering and production. That's okay. You don't have to start up. I'm not saying like, you know, go take down a whole data center tomorrow. Like, no, like, you know, baby steps, like let's gradually get there, learn from it and make improvements along the way. Because ideally by the time you're doing a, a large scale uh, chaos engineering practice in production, you are pretty confident that it that it's going to pass. Like that's really what you're doing. We would do that. At the National Australia Bank, we would be like, let's shut down an entire data center and make sure that we can still operate without it. And that was also required for compliance. Like you actually have to do chaos engineering because of compliance reasons uh, if you're working in finance or healthcare. But I think it's really good that other industries are starting to do this now too, because who wants to get paged in the middle of the night, right? Like that's also a big win, <laughs> sleep more. <laughs> exactly. I'd rather it be a call from friends or something, you know, like, hey, let's 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 go do this thing or something that's fun. But yeah, when it's yeah. a 3 a.m. call to go jump onto a bridge to go help out teams, it's a, it's a different situation. <laughs> yeah. And I had so many times where I got paged when I was like out at dinner or like out at, even out once out at a at a nightclub. I wasn't even on call primary <laughs> or secondary and it fell through to me and I was like, all right, got to go home now. <laughs> so, you know, everyone's got those wild stories. I, I really hope in the next five to 10 years, imagine a world where we're just not getting paged in the night. Like that would be so amazing. So I do think it's possible. I, I really like that. And I think that that's a good thing to start asking. I feel like the interview question of tell us the last time that you've broken production is a really good one. It's something that results in a lot of interesting stories, but I, I'm going to have to change that in, uh, in, in our interviews is what's your, what's your most interesting on-call story? Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> I need to revise that for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that's a great question. Yeah. You learn a lot from different types of skills. One of my favorite interview questions is you see this error. What do you do? That's like my favorite uh, interview Ooh. question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, I know that most, most verticals and obviously different companies, different teams that all kind of work differently, but did you see any kind of more generalized trends in terms of adopting chaos engineering? Like, was it, um, you know, were the problems more technical or more like uh, team process related? Was it a, was it a like 50, 50 split? Did you see kind of uh, any, any, did you have any observances with yeah, yeah. Um, how those were distributed? Yeah, I would say um, there's definitely some patterns. Like it's interesting. I would say I noticed that a ton of people are moving to Kubernetes. Might surprise some people, might not, but so many people are using Kubernetes now. And there's a lot of different types of failure modes that people don't expect that they're trying to understand and learn about. And so a lot of folks will use Gremlin with Kubernetes. Um, it's also really popular to use Gremlin with other services like Kafka. That's another one where people are identifying a lot of different types of issues that they need to then go and fix. Um, so I'd say those two things are really, really popular. And then also um, just like integrations, like tying this into your uh, entire like developer loop or your developer lifecycle, like how we just practice and do our work day to day. So I think that's another interesting thing. I'd say from the people side of things that um, 
there's a few things that I noticed that were very popular that I also really like and I've been doing for a long time. For example, using chaos engineering to train folks to be on call. So by that, what I mean is um, I did this when I was at Dropbox. That's actually where I came up with the idea. I didn't know anyone else that was doing this, but I was kind of like, it seems weird that you just throw people on call. Like I got thrown on call tons of times and you don't get any training, right? They're like, it's like your second week or something or your first week. Good luck. You're on call now. Have fun. Like, and sometimes you're the primary even. And it's like, well, you're, you know, you should be able to figure it out. Good luck. So I just kind of thought, well, that's okay, but I think we could do better. And I like the idea of saying like, it's kind of like an on-call game day, um, or you could call it like a fire drill, right? That's what um, our CEO at Gremlin Colton would call it a fire drill, which also, you know, a lot of people understand that. And the idea is everyone on your team, you know, go onto a Zoom call and talk through the three most common things that you get paged for. So you could pull that data out of PagerDuty, for example, like PagerDuty has some pretty good tools that you can use for analysis of your alerts. So, you know, export that data, um, look at the top three most common pages that you've had over the last month or the last three months looking back and talk through that. Say, hey, what would you do if you got this specific page? What would you do? Like, is there a playbook? Is, um, is there someone you reach out to? Is there a way that we could automate this so we don't get page for it? Like, do we have to get page for this? But that's just like a really good uh, on-call training session to run. And that's what we would do. Then what we would do actually is we would inject that specific failure that would cause that page during this fire drill within the staging or pre-prod environment. So then we would run through the playbook. And so it's basically like training to be on call. And I, I definitely love sport, like love extreme sport. I, I was a sponsored skateboarder. I'm definitely going to train and practice before I compete in a skateboarding competition. So I always thought of it like that. Like this is training for when it, when it really matters, you know. I was going to say like some <laughs> very Australian rude sayings, but I like <laughs> stop myself. <laughs> Maybe I can do it. I was like, for when the shit hits the fan, like that's like you're training for that moment when you're like, oh my gosh, okay. Yeah. You're not be ready for it. Like in skateboarding, you learn how to fall. You learn how to roll so you don't break your leg or something like that. Like I'm really good at rolling fast down a hill now because I've had a lot of practice. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what I would say there. I really think that's another good practice and it's a cultural one too. It's learning together as a team how to work better. You're sharing knowledge. You're making it so that you don't always have to pay to that one person that knows everything, you know. You reduce the number of escalations you can actually benchmark that too. Like look in page duty for how many times you have to escalate to someone else, you know, right? Like, so there's just a lot of things that are, I love data and I'm always using data to benchmark first, improve, and then measure results and then share the results with everyone else. Yeah. I, I like that. I, and I feel like, you know, if we start to look at other things within, you know, technical disciplines, are you going to release an API that you have never used once or just like, ah, it works, you know, and just kind of make that assumption? Or do you actually want to have that certainty that something that might work? I know that a lot of teams that I've worked with in the past have, have used PagerDuty and uh, some teams have misunderstood why it's there. You know, they'd use it for something that uh, kind of like more of a sentry type tool where they would log out important things and they would think that, okay, well, you know, here's, here's a uh, uh, stack trace that's important to us and kind of raise it up through PagerDuty and then not, 
you know, uh, ultimately not answer it as a call or kind of like stack them up. And so, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's interesting how different teams kind of take a look at and what they think is useful data and, and kind of how important it is to always be reflecting on that and finding ways to make that better. So. I'm very opinionated on that. Like, I don't think you should get paged unless you need to take an actual action. Like a human has to take an action because if it's, you know, for example, an automated database promotion, you don't need a page for that. Like that's just going to happen. Page if it fails, you know, page if you need a human to then come and fix that because it failed. Um, The thing that I, I do like tools like Sentry, like I've used Sentry for several years now. I think it's great. You know, back in the day before Century, we would like log to email and just have like an email inbox with a lot of logs that were important, but they weren't like critical. You know, it's like something you want to check once a day, like come in the morning and see what's in that inbox. You know, that worked fine for me. It's like an old school approach, but I was okay with that. And then also like rolled up metrics um, and daily email for like latency, um, QPS, like disk space. Like I like those daily emails to just have like a high level overview of what's going on. And I think about it a lot too, like, you know, I get a lot of ideas from other industries, like your um, your Apple Watch, you know, what kind of data do you have on that? Or like on your phone, like how many steps you walked yesterday? You know, I always check that the next morning. So I think about like, how can you roll up that data for systems and just look at it, consume it in a simple way as a whole team? Yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't think, you know, if I were alerted on every step that I took, that really wouldn't be that useful, right? <laughs> be very Ooh, annoying. I think uh, that would be so annoying. It's more fun to get alerted when you hit your goal, when it's like a positive reinforcement. Good job. Like, you know, you did that yesterday. But exactly. yeah, like. It's, yeah. it's that action to take too, right? It's just like you, uh, seven out of seven workout days, great. Share with your friends, you know, let's compete with them. You know, there's that, like, there's that actual action to take. I, exactly. I agree. I agree. Exactly. Less- and I, I hope that our industry goes more like that, you know, like, congrats, like, seven days in a row no pages for your team good job like you know that's awesome like, that's something to really like reward and celebrate that you didn't get any pages the the other thing too that i liked was um we would do a thing on wednesdays so this is like a little tip but i recommend doing on-call handoff on wednesdays it's way better than monday like monday's not a good day because a lot of people are off and it's kind of hard to like share knowledge on a monday morning at 9 a.m or whatever so wednesday at like 11 a.m when everyone's feeling fresh like that is my favorite time to do on-call handoff. And then you have, you know, the whole team in the room, like, and the person who did on-call last week shares and says, this is what happened last week for on-call. Here are my notes. This is all of the work that I did. Here's the code that I wrote to fix things. These are the configuration changes I made. And then the next on-call person can ask questions, but everyone gets to hear. And we did that at Dropbox for years. I absolutely loved it. That was an idea from Ranjish on the databases team. And he previously worked at YouTube. And they'd done that for years there. And yeah, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like such a simple tweak because I'd always done on-call handoff on Mondays. It's just like not good. Now I'm like Wednesdays. It has to be Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember when you said that and that was like revolutionary when I heard that. I was like, of course, you know, it's once you hear the answer, then it's then it's easy to solve the problem. But yeah. when I heard that, I was just like, oh, yeah, why, why don't we do that when I was working at uh, Disney Studios? And because that was I, th- I think we had it at like 8 a.m. in the morning Pacific time. Oh, and that was just like so stressful because if you had the open incidents or anything like that or something coming in from the weekend or something that yeah. happened early on the Eastern seaboard um, that was kind of blowing up. That was really difficult to, to even get the time, you know, cause then people go to standups and it's just very difficult to kind uh-huh. of uh, relay what's going on. And so, a lot of people have like really busy, 
businesses on Monday morning. Like, you know what I mean? Like say Dropbox, for example, obviously like Monday morning is a busy time for Dropbox users because they're like logging into their computers to start the week to get all of their files. Like it's probably not the time you want to do on-call handover. Like, you know, it's better to do it on a Wednesday, like at, you know, just before lunch. It's a, yeah, simple change, but it really does make a huge difference. And I think like also that just taught me that it's good to just learn from people, right? Like I learned that by moving to Silicon Valley and working with Ranjish and just trying something new and being open to it. Like I'm that sort of person too. Like when I, I just want to try out how do folks do things. When I join a new company, I'm so passionate to learn what they do, what works for them, what do they want to improve? And I'll just do everything like they do for a long time until I say, okay, like I've noticed these three problems, like let's try and solve one of those. But yeah, that, that's another one of my tips. Like don't come in and try and change everything before you understand why it is the way it is and before you've like had a chance to experience it and see what it's like. Yeah. That's that's really great too. I, I do feel like t- there are several teams where they kind of fall or and people that kind of fall uh, prey to that and just kind of yeah. uh, immediately seeing something and like, oh, this pattern didn't work at this organization before, you know, but maybe it is different. Maybe there are reasons for that. And I think it's yes. worth kind of having that empathy and that understanding on that yeah. front. Yeah. And everyone, most people don't like change, I would say. So it takes time to like adjust and like think about it, see what you'd like, like have a discussion first. So, and you know, that's really part of that, the whole idea of DevOps too. It's working together as a team, like as a cross-functional team with people across your organization. Like I really, really like that idea of collaboration and learning from each other. Yeah. that's why it's a team sport working in technology (laughs) it's it's so much more fun and i think that a lot of people kind of miss that concept unfortunately is that you know you can run if you want to run fast run alone but if you want to go far run with the team kind of thing you can pass up the baton you can exactly exactly and like you think of you know i have so many people who are my favorite people i've worked with my favorite people i've hired my favorite people i've learned from my favorite mentors Um, and yeah, that's another tip I would say, if you have someone who you think this person would be the best mentor ever, like I really, really wanted to learn from Mike Solomon when I was at Dropbox, he created a lot of the backend of YouTube. And I was just like, Oh man, imagine if I could whiteboard with him him once a week, like how much would I learn? Like, that's like so awesome. Like, you know, to be able to do that. And I just asked him, Hey Mike, can I like whiteboard with you for like half an hour a week on like, you know, Tuesday or Thursday? like yeah sure Tammy no worries so we would just meet like in this whiteboarding open area space that we had on the couches we would sit on the couches and I would just like whiteboard with him like say hey we're thinking of doing things this way like what's your feedback what do you think we should do like and he would talk me through what he was working on as well and I just learned so much in those discussions it was really valuable so I think like always ask for things like that if you know the worst my mom always tells me this I have a lot of advice from my mom but she's like you know if you never ask, they already said no. So you may as well ask. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like that. And, and honestly, that's something that I've been trying to get a sense of is how people learn and just kind of like some more uh, developing a, a, a personal understanding of all of the different ways in which people are able to kind of understand things. Um, yeah. What, what you know, what generalists look like versus specialists and where, where it's good to have one of those, uh, you know, one of those disciplines versus the other. Uh, there's a book called range that I was reading now. I'll put a link in the yep. show notes about that. But it's been really interesting to hear how it helps to have that general knowledge and then to kind of change contexts quickly and learn as much as you can on all fronts. And oh, then, yeah. you know, 
I, I, I've seen, you know, a lot of work that you've done, despite, you know, being a principal SRE and being really deep into the code. That's something that I've seen you do really well, too, is connect with people and, and just, you know, cultivate communities. Is that yeah. uh, is that kind of something that you're looking forward at doing in your next role now? And, and what are some of the things that you're looking at learning as you know, VP of product versus some of your previous roles? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love to connect with people, learn from folks and just get to chat and understand what everyone's problems are and what they're trying to solve. So I'm really excited to be able to do that as the VP of product at Statype. Like that is the perfect role to be able to learn about that, right? Getting to chat with our customers, with our design partners as we progress and, you know, really building Statype alongside them. Like I'm so excited to do that and a real like partnership hand in hand to make sure that it's valuable to them. And that's something I really, really love. I, I got to do that at Gremlin as well. Um, I worked a lot on Gremlin Free, which is like, you know, you don't have to pay to try Gremlin. You can actually use Gremlin Free. And I, I worked on that for a long time, like making that a really amazing experience and got a lot of great feedback from folks about how to make it better over the years. Um, so I really do love that. And the other thing too is like, yeah, like it's interesting with, um, I, I always tell folks if you're looking to, you know, get into technology, you're just starting out. I do think it's good to have areas of specialty that you love. Like for me, databases is one of them. Like I did major in databases when I was studying computer science. Also, we, you obviously do a lot of coding, a lot of Java that we were doing back then. Um, and but I did pick to major in databases and I also did a lot of networking subjects and security subjects, but definitely a lot of like, you know, it was all even database performance tuning subjects. So, but I think it's good to have those specialist areas. You can go deep and they're obviously, you know, most companies use a database. So it's a handy, handy thing to know about. Um, and then if you just pick something that you're passionate about, that you're interested in, you don't have to learn about the whole world, but go deep somewhere and then try and go broad across a lot of other things as well. I think that really does help. And I'm just a naturally curious person. It helps me to build up my mental model of the company too. If I can like picture in my head, the architecture, and I mean, I even tried to do that when I worked at the National Australia Bank, that is a complicated architecture, but I was always like, picturing it out in my head, like all the different payment gateways and how everything worked and all the different teams that interacted with each other. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good thing to be able to do. And it's, it's easier for some people, you know, more than others. Like for me, I can kind of like remember things pretty well in my mind and I'm, I can like visualize things in my mind. So I can kind of just see an architecture diagram when I talk about one. Uh, but other folks need to whiteboard, you know, and obviously it's better when you're trying to communicate with someone else if you whiteboard because they can see what you mean because <laughs> they can't read your mind. So that's also a great skill. Even remote, we used uh, Miro at uh, Gremlin to be able to do online whiteboarding, and that was pretty awesome too. And uh, at Statite, we're using like HackMD um io and they have like some cool diagram tools that you can use with markdown so yeah a lot of great things these days you know you don't have to be in an office to be able to collaborate and just share knowledge and learn yeah I, th I think there was even something dropped recently about GitHub supporting the uh, mermaid uh, types yeah, of yeah. like so force diagrams which mermaid. that's what we use yeah that's yes, awesome exactly. that's yeah mermaid's cool so definitely check that out like I think that's a good way to explain your idea to folks you know just roll it up into a simple diagram. Yeah, it's a good skill to develop. I feel like that project's well-named because uh, good documentation does seem like a mythical creature. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the thing we're all searching for as well. <laughs> it's just like, I saw this thing. You're like, nope, that doesn't exist. That's not real. Uh, <laughs> oh, 
Uh, awesome. Uh, so it, it, in our field, I, obviously, the only thing that's constant is change. And, and there's very little doubt about that, for sure. Uh, there's always something new to check out, to learn, to kind of dig deeper into. Um, can you tell me, though, conversely, are, are there any trends that you've seen where, you know, people might be advertising as changing, or but uh, secretly are kind of staying the same? Like, like personally, I think the, um, the thin client mainframe, and then like the personal desktop computing, we're kind of going from this edge computing to centralized to edge to centralized mm-hmm. and just back and forth is, is the one where it's coming in with different names, but I think is kind of, you know, similar principles that just keep going back and forth with interesting, uh, interesting. innovation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting question. It's kind of like, um, you know, skinny jeans were really popular and then they weren't and then they were again and then they weren't. It's like, huh? And then people don't know that they used to already be around because they weren't alive then, something like that. So yeah that's interesting that happens a lot with technology and um i think yeah i don't know i do see cycles of that a lot um you know when i think of the early days when i was working at the national australia bank even like when i was studying at university um i mean the data space is interesting like that's done a lot of like flipping back and forth um and i still wonder like where we'll come to like even with databases you know like there's like relational databases, new SQL, no SQL, like different types of query languages. We, you know, we're, everyone's still trying to figure it out. Like I think a lot in that world and it's kind of hard and I, I still think that's complicated. Like, yeah, I think about that a lot actually because I'm pretty good at writing SQL because I've written it since the funny story is what, how did I learn to write SQL? My mom actually, when I was in high school, she applied for a job. I was, I think I was 14 years old. My mom has no technology background, but she applied for a job as a database administrator and got it. She like told them that she was good at databases. And so she came home to home that afternoon and was like, Tammy, you have to help me. I got this job as a database administrator, but I don't even know how to do that. And it was for this university. And so then I was like helping her, you know, it was to manage courses. So at home I would like write the queries and I would like figure out the table structure and the database schema. So I've been working full time doing a lot of that work since I was 14. And I used to go into her office and like help out. And they were like, they loved to have me there. I was always hanging out there and it was so much fun. Um, But that's how I know how to write it. Right. And then I also did it at university because I would major in databases. But now I find a lot of people you know, that I worked with over the years in many, many different teams don't know how to write SQL. So it becomes hard if, you know, and also because I'm on the databases team, I could get access to a database to be able to query it to understand what's in it. But if you don't have that knowledge, it's like kind of hard. And if you can't write a query, like how do you get the data? So yeah, that definitely is a, a challenge for a lot of folks, I think. And it's obviously, I don't I'm not a fan of it either. Like, I don't think it's a great language, you know, sorry to, I don't think anyone would say that it is like fabulous. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's an interesting area. Apart from that, I don't know. I feel like we've done pretty good, like working in banking, you know, as an engineer to start, I was using, people are surprised by this, but we were using GitHub when I was at the National Australia Bank in like 2011. Like, yeah, we use GitHub so early. We were all about it. Like, that's awesome. We used Chaos Monkey in like, I think it was, 2013 or something like that 2012 when it first came out on github as an open source project so i've definitely been more at the cutting edge because the national australia bank everyone there like loves to be at the cutting edge we're like let's use all the best tools like let's push forward we don't want to be stuck in the past 
So yeah, we'd like migrated to AWS back then in like, I think it was 2013. I was part of that migration project as well. So I guess I try and work on teams where everyone wants to move forward as well. That's my, my other tip. <laughs> Do that. That works great. <laughs> like, you know, you've got your, all the hashy products. This is like moving forward. I've worked at a lot of places where we use Terraform and I work with lots of people when I was at Gremlin that use Vault. So, you know, it's just a lot of modern tools that you can use, modern software, and that's so important. I think it makes your life easier. I personally haven't had to work somewhere, I don't think ever, where we're using really old school tooling. Yeah, like, and I have worked with a mainframe at the bank. I did interact with it. I had to even do InfoMan, use InfoMan incident management. So people will know from that world, whoa, InfoMan, that's some old school like terminal stuff that takes forever to input your incidents. But then we were like, let's migrate off this because it's so slow to be able to add in any info. And we did, we migrated off it. So, yeah. That's wild, yeah. yeah. It's so so no COBOL, no no Fortran just yet. So uh, yeah. interesting. I mean, interesting. It, it was there, and we were trying to get away from it. The COBOL, like, because obviously it's so hard to hire anyone that can write COBOL. It's like a. I think I met like three people that worked on the team that did it. <laughs> wow, it's like it's, really small. Yeah, I, yeah. I I've heard some some colleges out here. Um, have partnered with a couple big, big uh, industries, uh, like big box industries, and they'll actually say, we will pay for your college education if you learn COBOL and come work with us, you know, for an inordinate amount of time, you know, five, 10 years, something like that. Wow. So it's, it's wild that it's getting to that rather than, you know, thinking about, you know, can we write this differently? Yeah, or, or yeah. Like it should be like that. I should go visit Australia and like, see how our banks do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, go, go check out NAB. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Go check it out. Like National Australia Bank. Awesome. ANZ, awesome. Like, you know, there's a lot of, actually one of the banks that I got to work on was very cool. It was an online only bank called Ubank. I worked on that as it launched. And that was like a special project, super cool experience where we built everything from scratch. Like how would you build a bank if you wanted to build it from scratch? And that was amazing project to work on, you know, and it was awesome. We're just using all of the most modern tools that we can do. We're focusing on like processing mortgages fast without having to talk to a human um, and people were able to buy their homes so quickly. That was the thing I loved about doing that too, is like you're putting people in their dream homes. Like they go bid at an auction, you know, or put in an offer, you process that mortgage, get it approved, and then they get to move into their home and they're like the happiest ever. So that always felt really good. I love that when you're able to kind of make a product that makes people feel really empowered and then they yeah. kind of are, are happy to share about that, you know, like, oh, I can do this thing because, you know, and, and they don't even have to say the product. They just, uh, I like seeing that empowerment. I, yeah. I did, uh, going going back to your, your SQL days really quick, um, one question I had for you on that front was uh, when you write SQL, do you capitalize the uh, the keywords like show and... <laughs> yeah, I definitely do. Yeah, select okay. from okay. where I capitalize, I do. <laughs> okay, same, okay. I was wondering. I was like, "Am I am I alone in this?" But uh, I do. I do. Okay. Yeah. That's. I know there's tabs versus spaces, but I feel like capitalized yeah. SQL and non is also a pretty good uh, uh, religious yeah. war. Like, uh, I think my the hard thing is I've written other people a lot of queries, and I'm like, "Here, here's this query. You can just use this. Just run it. It gives you the results." And people still are like, well, "What does it do?" And it's like, "Oh, it's just so hard to explain SQL." So I think, um, and it, it's hard to get your head around it. I think like. Maybe if you're a very, if you can imagine things in your mind, you can like think of how I'm running this query and it's pulling out data from the database and I'm getting back only this specific subset of data because I wrote these specific things. But that's 
not everyone has a mind that works like that. I think, you know, a lot of people don't like the idea of huge amounts of data and like being able to process that and think through that in your head. Like, I think that's kind of a rare skill these days. Um, so yeah, that's just my thoughts there. It's an interesting area. I think like, you know, when I think of more modern types of work and what people are doing, like I really think it's cool to see, you know, I, I don't, I I like have done a lot of different things and I did do full stack development in my early days and I like where the React community is going. Like I just think, oh, that's really cool. Like, and um, there was one of the, our CTO Jonas, he was recently just um, saying how great Tailwinds is for like your components. Like, and I looked at that and I'm like, man, that's really awesome. Like super impressive. So I think that is cool to see where that's moving in that direction. I like that a lot. I thought that was really great. Like the idea that you could just quickly pull down something that looks awesome for your page. You know, everyone has to build these same components and to be able to start from something that looks nice is a lot better than starting from nothing at all. Or, you know, think back to the day when we had bootstrap, remember like if those listening that remember that it's like, this is so much better than bootstrap tailwind. So I really like that direction as well. I've gotten to work with that a little bit and like how light it is. I've also found like some of the live view and other things in like Elixir are really fascinating and interesting, you know, just kind yeah. of eliminating everything in between being able to write that server code and have those shims into, you know, yeah. what kinds of interactions can you have with people if this, you know, if this isn't a concern or you can immediately create that front end and, and kind of things mm-hmm. on that front. It, it, are, are there any pieces of tech or, or kind of workflows or methodologies that you've seen that you think are kind of more breakout concepts? You know, like I know there's a lot of talk right now about Web3 and WebAssembly and kind of like, what are your predictions yeah. for 2022? But is there anything yeah. that really has piqued your interest as yeah, of late? Sure. I mean, for Web3, definitely check out QuickNode. Uh, that's that's a great company, QuickNode. I really like what they're doing. And I like the vision. Um, that So check that out, quicknode.io. And the other thing that I think is really cool, actually, so having been in the industry for a while now, like, um, it's interesting to me what's happened with like, this is, you know, it's been around for a bit now, but VS code, right. With IDEs, because when I was at university, we were using IDEs, um, to do our Java work. I think back then it was like NetBeans or something, IntelliJ. There was also Microsoft Visual Studio, but a lot of people, when I first moved to America, they actually had not studied computer science. So they'd never been introduced to an IDE. So they were using like stuff like notepad or just writing straight into Vim, Um, But they hadn't had the tools of like, you know, all of the things that you get with VS Code that folks will know now, like all your plugins and like just simple little things like breakpoints and like being able to see like the value of a variable and like everything's so simple. Logging is so simple. Debugging is really simple. So I just think that that's actually pretty good for folks who are getting into the industry that they can use a, a, a platform like a piece of software like VS Code. I think it's been built really well, and it's awesome that it's free. I'm like, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of that, and I always recommend that to folks when they're just getting learning um, about technology. The other thing too that I'll say is fun is like I have had a lot of fun with Raspberry Pi. I used um, Home Assistant to automate my entire home, and it took no time at all. That was like a you know few hours, and I set up everything like my Sono speakers, my Hue lights, like. Everything is completely automated and I have this really sweet little um, touch screen that's like a miniature little touch screen where I can run Home Assistant for my entire home. And 
yeah, I love that. Turn off or on every different room, organize it all super nice. So I would check that out too if you're interested in home automation. Yeah, absolutely. I'll add that as a link to show, and I, I, I definitely want to check that out. I've gotten some most things through through HomeKit personally, but definitely want to kind of create and orchestrate some better things. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so if you've got all that home automation, that's I'm really talking to you, right? This isn't a hologram or anything like that. So okay, good. <laughs> yes, good. yeah, and it's fun too because it's all open source. So you can just like go in and modify it, modify the code, like contribute extra code if you want. So I, I like that for it as well. It's a cool open source project and it has a huge community behind it too. Lots of passionate people. Um, yeah. That's fun. It's yeah. It's uh, please feel free to share if you do anything really interesting or fun, because uh, obviously we, we would absolutely love to hear about that. Um, awesome. Awesome. Well, I do have one final question for you, Sammy, uh, and this is a slightly less serious question. Yeah. Um, so what a lot of people express is that life would be better if they had background music. And so my question to you is that if you introduced yourself to a new group of people or were starting a meeting and kind of like uh, some kind of introduction or kickoff yeah. context uh what is a go-to song or a genre of song that you would choose as your introduction theme oh that's a great song i would say so i have a lot of favorite music like i love metal music i love punk music and i probably i'm gonna say that definitely the band would have to be there's this australian band called mind snare mind snare and i would just say them that's gonna be my band for sure and it's always a hard thing to pick like i also really love punk but i feel like that's just some great intro music just it pretty much any any bass drums from mind snare it's gonna be like heavy it's gonna be loud and that's me Uh, I love it. That's going to be the uh, that's going to be the the sound clip for the uh, for this podcast. That's awesome. <laughs> that's I love perfect. it. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tammy. It was wonderful having you on the HashiCast. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, uh, is there is there anything that you'd urge people to check out, or, or you know, uh, do you want people to at you? Where can they find you online if they wanted to spark up a conversation? Yeah, if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to me. You can um, find me on Twitter at Tam Bryant Budo or also feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well and shoot me a message. Always happy to chat. Um, yeah. And I just love meeting people. Hope I get to meet you in real life. If you see me around, you know, at a conference, something like that, please come up and say hi. Um, I'm always happy to chat. So I hope I get to meet everyone again. Once we're all back into the real world, eventually. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. And thanks for having me, Taylor. I really enjoyed You've been listening to, to the HashiCast uh, with your host, Hashicast Taylor Dolezal. Yeah. Today's guest it was, was an absolute Tammy pleasure to Bryant have you. Thank you so much, Tammy. Uh, uh, be sure to, to see you again soon. In and Take listen care. next time. Uh, we always try to source and find some really fun and interesting people. Hope you enjoyed today's session. And we'll see you around. Thanks, everybody.